Good evening and welcome to Joy 99.7 FM and to tonight's edition of Springboard, your virtual university. It is 44 days more to the end of the year and this is the platform where your personal value is enriched on a weekly basis. Springboard is brought to you by Legacy and Legacy and your superstition Joy 99.7 FM. The broadcast is made possible by the kind courtesy of EcoBank, the Pan-African Bank, MTN, Ghana's number one network, and our print media partner, the Graphic Business. Grab the Graphic Business on Tuesday and look in page 18 for the Springboard article every single week. Thank you for joining us on radio as well as on Facebook. My name is Albert Okran, and on behalf of the Virtual Academic Board, chaired by Comfort, with support from Matthew, Priscilla, Amos, Emmanuel, and Jojo, I welcome you to our discussion on Budget 2020. We will shortly be talking to Mr. Andy Akutu, partner of KPMG, and Mr. Daniel Asariche, CEO of Isoko, as we try to break the budget down and our big questions. What are the topmost interventions and the key highlights in the budget? What are the implications of the policy directions that we seek to pursue? Have you spotted any big opportunity? And by the way, how do we pay for the things that we desire? It's a big discussion tonight, and my guest will help me unravel it. But good evening to you, Mabel Nananyakwa, probably CEO of Saham Insurance. Today is your birthday. This is your show. Enjoy it tonight. If you have a question that you would like us to explore, send it to us by WhatsApp 0244340437, and we'll be happy to explore the thoughts that you have. In today's Data is King segment, Amos the Troublesome will tell us why only one out of four of us is paying for the lifestyle of the rest of us. Amos has a way of reminding us of our civic responsibility. He says, one person is paying and four are enjoying. <laughs> so, we'll find out those who are paying the taxes and those who are not. And the title is, Who is Paying? So, you don't want to miss that in our data is skin segment. So, Let's start with our quote for the day, and it says that don't tell me what you value. Show me your budget, and I will tell you what you value. And that was said by former American U.S. Vice President Joe Biden. He says, don't, don't tell me what you value. Show me your budget, and I will tell you what you value. It simply means that budgets don't lie and shadows don't lie. The use of your time and the use of your money is a clear indication of your highest priorities. So on this Money Matters edition of Springboard, we are asking what are the priorities of government per the budget that was read last Thursday by the Finance Minister, Ken Oferiata, what are the top priority areas? What is on the heart of government for the year ahead? So we will be looking at that, and I have Andy and Daniel in the studio tonight. Andy and Daniel, welcome to Springboard. Thank you. Thank you very much, Andy. Right. And I've managed to bring into the studio our good friend Michael Boatin, also of KPMG. Michael, welcome to Springboard. Thank you. Right. So it's money, 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 money. Tonight we want to find out what are the key priority areas of the budget. Let me start with you, um, Andy. Um, I, I was talking to um, a friend last Thursday night who said he met a businessman from Mauritius and as soon as he met him in Mauritius. The first thing he asked is, what is happening in Ghana? And he was speaking English, and the person said, no, can I see the budget? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Most person from Mauritius was interested not in the English language of what is happening in Ghana. He wanted to see the budget. And as soon as he got the budget, by the next morning, he had circled what he thought were the key areas of interest. And guess what the guy said? Next week, I'm coming to Ghana. Uh -huh. As soon as he saw the budget, he said, next week, I'm coming. How important is a budget as an indication of the direction and intent of the country, Andy? Thank you very much, uh, Reverend, and uh, good evening to your cherished listeners. Um, the budget statement for any nation signifies uh, the nation's priorities. So if you're actually looking to, you know, glean or anticipate the focus areas of government activity, at least for the next one year, the budget statement is the best place to make, you know, a good uh, view of what the government intends. So, all the national priorities, the focus areas are going to be captured there. And I think it is very important to, you know, not to underestimate its importance because at the end of the day, all players in the national economy will be impacted one way or the other by the budget. When you say all players, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? I'm talking about businesses, individuals, foreign investors, and all other stakeholders. It is the single most comprehensive statement of the priorities of the nation. And for that matter, that is why I would uh, not be surprised that uh, the, the, the contact in, in Mauritius, you know, immediately had to go and actually make a determination as to whether he is going to make a move to Ghana or not. Let me come to you, um, Daniel, and, and, and by way of opening remarks, ask if it is so important, why do people know so little internally in our country about the budget? Yes, good evening, every um, listener to Joy FM, and thank you very much for having me, Reverend. Yeah, so as Andy said, budget statements are very, very fundamental to any nation that is really serious to develop. I mean, there's a saying that if you don't plan, you actually plan to fail. And so budget, for me, is a way that the government shows that it's serious about planning for the country's development. It's an estimate. So sometimes people forget that budget statements are estimates. And so whatever you have in there depends on the revenue base. And so if you look at, okay, I'm going to have $10 billion of revenue for 2020, how am I going to spend this money that is going to come in in 2020? If for one reason or the other, any of these revenue shortfalls actually appear, you may not be able to execute the entire budget statement throughout. And so I think for most Ghanaians, people have become used to the fact that, okay, we say you're going to do this in this year. The next year, the same thing has not been done. It's still repeated in the subsequent budget, so on and so forth. And so that's maybe the main reason why people don't pay a lot of attention to budget statements. Because they think that it has become a formality. It's just a mere reading of economic figures. Who doesn't really make sense in people's life? But in actual sense, like Andy said, budget statements are very, very fundamental to the success of any nation that is trying to, is trying to develop. Let me come to you, um, Michael. Um um, Daniel alludes to a certain level of skepticism about about execution as the possible reason why um, people do not pay attention to the budget. I I would have 
expected a bit more. If it was a culture of people listening previously, and that culture has gone down, then you can see that they have become disappointed because budgets don't. But all through the years, it's not been something that people previously the most important element in the budget was fuel prices. At that time, fuel prices were already right. during the budget. Yes. And most people only wanted to know what's the new price of fuel. But obviously, we've moved, we've moved on to deregulation of the fuel sector. So it's no longer um, a regular feature in the budget now. But if you look at personal budgets, we conduct variance analysis. If you look at corporate budgets, there is budgetary control, there is various analysis. So by the end of the first quarter, management or the board can really assess how much of what is in the budget has been implemented, what are the gaps that have appeared, what is the reason why. Is there anything like that that is also done at the national level where there are systems in place to also track how well we are trending with the budget and any variances and how we can, we can make up for them? Yes. Um, I've been very positive, you know, this has exactly been done on a year-to-day, year-to-year basis. Unfortunately, I think um, what is going on, a lot of people don't pay very much attention in time pass. Um, what I would say is that there's been a very much, there's been a much uptake in people's interest in the budget. If you take a step back, even um, every year when the budget is read, on the media, during the media budget, the minister will go back and then discuss, just assess what they plan to do, where they are missing, and then what they are missing, and then how they to definitely bridge the gap. So all those things has been done. Unfortunately, I think the average Ghanaian don't seem to appreciate that. But I think now, from what I see, um, a lot, there's been becoming something that a lot of people appreciate and know that there's a lot in out there for them. So, so you think that has been an improvement in the level of interest? Absolutely. In okay. Absolutely. Let's come down to the breakdown. I mean, Andy, um, Andy Akoto, you help us to say if you, if we all agree that the budget is the the highest reflection of the priority of our nation, give us the key priority areas that came out of the budget that was read last Thursday. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, um, this is just being taken out of the budget statement. Um, first of all, it had about five main key pillars, right. uh, which is restoring the economy, transforming agriculture and industry, strengthening social protection and inclusion, revamping economic and social infrastructure, Reform. Slow it down. I want, I want, I want, I want okay. to, my listeners like to write one at a time. Let's start with <laughs> restoring the economy is number one. Yes. Transforming, Transforming agri and industry. And industry. Right. Number three. Strengthening social protection and inclusion. Okay. Revamping economic and social infrastructure. Reforming yeah, public so service like a minister. <laughs> delivery <laughs> institution. <laughs> okay. Yes. So, um, Andy, just give us um, in, in in a brief what each of these key indicators actually mean for the benefit of those who are listening to us. When you start by seeing restoring the economy, what 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 does the budget speak to when it says restoring the economy? Okay. So. I mean, however we choose to look at it, this economy has gone through some, uh, if you like, some structural adjustment. 
particularly with the banking sector reforms, which were very, very significant, you know, given the amount of resources that have gone in there. And the managers of the economy have been very much in a haste to point out the fact that it was a very, very necessary um, initiative to build some confidence and restore investor uh, if you like, integrity within our economy. And as a result of that, there has been some dislocations, you know, and for that matter, when they talk about restoring the economy, it's just making sure that everything is brought back on an even setting so that we can begin to consolidate, you know, those initiatives for, as they describe it, for growth, jobs, and prosperity. Um. It is obvious that there can be no discussion about the year 2019 without reference to the significant surgery, for lack of a better word, that was done on the financial sector. So obviously, this is a fallout, or this is this is a follow through on on that particular um, activity. Correct. So the, the expectation is that based on the cleanup that has been done, there can be a push forward to have a stronger growth um, with, a, with a stable financial sector. Correct, correct. Let me come to my, my pet subject, and that is agriculture, and that's why we have Daniel here. Daniel has a very keen interest in the agricultural sector, in case of the work that he does with Isoku, but um, Daniel, you talk about transforming agricultural industry. Let's, let's focus on the agricultural sector. The, the feelings that we get from a number of recent interventions, planting for food and jobs, etc., uh, etc. Et the general feeling is that from a country that recently was um, having to import staples from Ivory Coast and Burkina Faso in some instances, we now are ourselves exporting some and also being able to generate quite some food. Will that be the case? Exactly. I mean, the agricultural sector has really seen a lot of improvement over the last few years. I mean, if we take the fact that just last year, you produced 1.5 million metric tons of cereals and legumes, very more than $1.5 billion. At the same time, vegetables, you produce about 405,000 metric tons of vegetables, about $3.4 billion in value. I mean, that's a fundamental increase. I mean, all these increases have led to a massive improvement in agricultural GDP over the last few years or so. And so the sense is that, yes, agricultural productivity has increased quite significantly over the last few years with the production of the Planting for Food and Just program. Uh, back in 2017, when the PFJ program was launched, I said that this is a very great innovation in terms of leading to supply of agricultural commodities in Ghana. For any country that's not able to feed itself, that's a fundamental issue. And so what PFJ has done is to make sure that what productivity... You mean planting for food and jobs? Yeah, planting for food and jobs. Right. What he has done to this country is that I miss basic six staples, maize, cassava, plantain, yeah. vegetables, yams, all of these things have become very, very bad. I mean, we, we know that you so could you track agricultural commodity price over the years. If you look at the price trend for this agricultural commodity, generally they have been very, very low and the increase have been very, very minimal for 20, as far as 2018, 2019 is concerned. So what you're seeing for the benefit of the everyday listener, what you're seeing is that supply of agricultural products has gone up. You try to indicate 1.5 metric tons of what? About 5 million metric tons of cereals and legumes. Million metric tons of cereals and legumes. And the value is 1.5 billion Ghana cities. 
Right. Uh, vegetables, you produce 405,000 metric tons of vegetables, also value at 3.4 billion Ghana cities. I mean, that's a very significant uh, jump. I mean, if you look at the fact that you used to import things like maize from Burkina Faso, you used to import Plenty. tomatoes, onions from Burkina Faso, a country that is far, 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 just a way forward. To that point, agriculture productivity, Ghana is far, far, far better. But you still used to import from those countries. But now you still look at the PFJ and what it has done to the agriculture sector. All these crops are now in abundance. If you go to the markets, either in Accra or in the north or in the middle bit of the country, basic foodstuffs are in abundance in these markets. Will that have a? Will that be one of the sources of the downward pressure on inflation, um, Andy? You, you you realize that we've had. Um, single digit inflation for a while now and there seems to be um, some downward pressure on inflation. Will that be driven by the food the food um, factor in inflation? Definitely so. Um, I mean, for a country of our economic maturity, you realize that food constitutes you know, a major portfolio of the household uh, expenditure outlay. And for, so for that matter, if you're able to keep food prices stable and uh, production steady, then uh, it kind of slows down the rate of growth in those prices. And that's what impacts inflation. So you're right. It has a very, very important role to play in terms of slowing down our inflation numbers, which are currently trending in the single digits. I think around 7.6 about now. Are there prospects of this trend also having a, a, a putting downward pressure on interest rates? Is there a possibility that th- this trend will push down interest rates? Um, interest rates can be looked at from several dimensions, but if we are talking about uh, financing from uh, financial institutions, yes, uh, it also has some bearing, but. Unfortunately, there are some other factors in the interest rate determination mix which have not exactly been well streamlined. And so it will have some impact, but at this point in time, not too significant. Right. Let me, let me, let me, let me pull the discussion slightly away from our Greek and link it back to the first point you made about the banking sector reform. I mean, if mm-hmm. now you have banks that have uh, $400 million to lend, obviously the supply will be prop- possibly more than the demand. Mm-hmm. Couldn't that also contribute to just helping to bring interest rates down a bit more for the benefit of industry? Because we're talking about transformation of our and industry. I'm trying to link them and see, is it possible that while the food basket brings down inflation. It is possible that also other factors combined, it could also lead to a, a positive downward movement in interest rate that would be a benefit to industry. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at the interest rate, it is also largely impacted by the government's own, uh, if you like, fiscal policies as well as the monetary policies. Right. Um, but, you know, to the ordinary financial institution in terms of lending, uh, there are a number of risk factors to be considered in terms of being able to recover on those funds that go out. And what are we talking about? We are talking about having a credible database as well as, uh, I mean, of, of, of the people that pick up the funds as right. well as 
you know, uh, information on where they live, etc., so that in case of any default, you're able to get some restitution. So you're back and to uh, house numbering and, and precisely, uh, precisely. So we need to get all those uh, uh, measures right in order to be able to yeah. get interest rates trending down. Right. Let me come back to you, um, Daniel. Still exploring agri, as you know, it's something we are very interested in. What is the next step? What pushing forward from from um, significant rises in, in, in the production of, of, of crops like cereals, legumes, and then vegetables. What next? Because last year, in our discussion on the same topic with Michael and with um, with Andy, we began to talk about the commodities exchange and how we could minimize post-harvest losses and also begin to look at different levels of processing. I mean, I, I meet a lot of young people simply plantain chips and, 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 and various, maybe on a small scale, but at least there's lots of dried vegetables, dried fruits. Are we doing well with the post-production yeah. aspect of agriculture? Yeah, so I talk about the fact that productivity has increased. What I'll tell you you need to pay attention to is the demand side right. and the post-harvest operations of right. these crops. And so we have massive improvements in maize yields, rice yields, and all of that. How do you add value to these crops? So things like packaging, warehousing, transport and logistics, cold storage, value addition, standardization, grading are very, very fundamental things. So when you talk about the commodity exchange, and when it was last, some of us in the aquaculture space were very, very happy with the launch of the commodity exchange. Because for us, we saw it as an end-to-end solution to the issue of agricultural productivity increases and value addition in the country. And so now, having done so well in increasing productivity, what I think you need to do is to look at how do you add value? How do you streamline marketing? How do you make sure the marketing system is well structured so farmers can actually supply foods to say ShopRite to Koala, to all the big high-end supermarkets in the country? That's for me, I think, what you need to pay attention to. How do you really look at the post-service management issues after production has increased? And that's very fundamental. So if you look at the planting for food and just program, I think, I think that it's been largely a supply-led policy where we've been looking how do you increase supply to the market. Now that that has been achieved, how then do you look at the demand side of it? A demand side not actually just selling, but also improving what goes into the market. If you just produce this and sell it straight to the market, you probably will sell it at one city. The moment you add value to it, this value could increase tenfold or hundredfold. And that's for me what I think you need to pay attention to going forward. Michael, what's the, what's the biggest barrier to we adding value to the things that we produce because we've talked about it. We, I mean, there are things that you tell yourself we should not be importing this as simple as that. I, this week I was, talking, I was talking about a friend launching a campaign on social media for the purchase of local rice, and I've just been tracking the response. And I can tell you what when people know what's available, how to get it, people are passionate enough to want to buy. And so I've just observed a huge debate over the past 48 hours about buying local rice and I see a huge interest from Ghanaians to buy local rice. What can we do to ensure that end-to-end what is produced is available all the way through to the final consumer and the price is kept low because we cut out a lot of the waste um, in midstream? What, what is the barrier to smooth flow all the way through the value chain as well as also processing of what you produce? The, I think the main issue is education, and from what I have observed all over the years and over the short period, what you see is that we have a lot of good things to offer the farmers, but the issue is how do people know that these things are available, and that is where the education comes in. 
you'll get to know that example that you just gave. Someone just took it upon himself just to post this on the internet, and then everybody just jumping on it. So could we have a more make a more conscious effort of having a, a proper mechanism and saying that listen, can we have a mechanism a, a process between the farmer and the consumer? And then say, okay, how much can we let the consumer know that this is available? Because I can tell you that the, um, I know people who process um, fish. They are they process it in a certain certain way. People just taste it and they go wild. They say, wow, do you have this in Ghana? And then the question is, yes, we have it. So the question is, go back to the question, how do you make sure that everybody gets to know that this is there? So we need to have a conscious effort of having a mechanism to just educate people and say, listen, advertise, this is here. And if, if, if beyond yeah. education, you've been, you've been big yeah. on the issue of skill. Because yeah. what, where we are coming from is so far that we can't be satisfied with one or two good processing plantain chips and, no. and, and, and drying, dried fruits and so on. You, yeah. You've been talking about skill, not yeah. just in the processing, but also even in the retail. Yes. What what should we do differently, in your opinion, Andy? Okay, so there is the need for, if you like, a multi-sectoral approach. Right. Because um, we shouldn't expect the agri agenda just to be prosecuted by the agri ministry. It is connected to transport, it is connected to trade, it is connected to a number of other ministerial you know, portfolios that must all be integrated. And therefore, we should be able to look at the market even beyond Ghana if we really want to make a success of our grid. Because it's not just producing to consume, but it's also to producing to co uh, export. And when we are talking about export, what does it take? It also, talk, it, it also requires infrastructure, you know, putting in the rails to be able to move some of these foodstuffs into the hinterland. I mean, if you look at the global stage, for example, one of the issues underpinning the trade war between uh, U.S. and China, we all know about it, is mostly technology-driven and intellectual property. But underlining that, uh, underlining that, U.S. also recognizes that it has some, uh, if you like, some power play when it comes to agri-produce because Chinese market is so vast. It's able to consume anything that comes to it. And in the just past few months where there has been that kind of trade war and standoff, China has suffered greatly because its food prices have just gone through the roof for some commodities. That is because a lot of the food produced in U.S. capable of being moved around the world was not reaching China. And that is why it is very important for us to be able to have those linkages. And it's not just uh, crops. We are talking about rearing for food and jobs, you know, animal husbandry and all that poultry. All these things should be linked, you know, with other ministerial sectors, the health ministry, for example, making sure that, you know, all these produce also meet certain minimum health standards that will qualify for international, if you like, uh, retail. Talking about health standards, I mean, there is, there's, interestingly, uh, Daniel, there's, there's a debate that goes on around the coffee tables of this country that really, 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 if we we'll be very honest with ourselves, a lot of what we import is rejected food products that did not pass the safety test 
in, in, in the Europe and in the, in, in the Americas of this life, and they get dumped here on us, and then when we are sending our things there, then they raise the bar very, very high and talk about high standards. The truth is that if we focus more on consuming what we do, we can be assured of 100% quality in what you produce. What, what do you have to say? Yeah, yeah I mean, that's the unfairness you all talk about in global trade. I mean, the fact that people can bring in anything, you cannot extend anything, is a major budget that you need to talk about. I mean, they've been talking about even the chicken that is consuming Ghana have been freezers overseas for like three years before they are shipped into the country. At the same time, a simple poultry farmer wants to send his poultry products to outside the country. They're going to be subjected to all sorts of rules and regulations. What I think is fundamental you need to do is to look at how do we promote local consumption of made in Ghana products. I mean, if you're not able to, if you're always looking outside for buying our things. They're going to determine the price. They're going to determine the quality. They're going to determine whatever shape and form that the product should come in. If you're able to strengthen the local demand of these crops, you're able to strengthen production, you're able to add value to it, then you will determine the quality of how you want, to, how you want our own thing to be bad. If you go to most of the high-end supermarkets in Accra, now you find very appreciable amounts of Ghanaian made products being sold there. Even though the quality may not be as it's required elsewhere, yet they are still of a fairly, fairly good quality. But if you want to export, that is when it becomes a big issue. If you take fruits and vegetables, for instance, for you to export mangoes or pineapples outside Ghana, you have to go through a whole lot of tests. At the same time, if you are importing, say, dried or processed juice into the country, who does all these things? Everything just comes in. If we are able to process everything ourselves at a little volume, not necessarily even all the sophisticated value addition, but just simple drying of fruits and vegetables, it can still serve very well in this country. And that's what I think we need to look at. Right. It is 31 minutes past the hour of 7 o'clock. If you just join us, this is Springboard and Virtual University. We are dissecting Budget 2020 and we, we are focusing largely on the restoring of the economy, but zeroing in on agriculture, the gains made in the agricultural sector and how that can be a springboard or a spiral for progress in other areas. So far we've been talking about the fact that on the production side of things we've done quite well but the next is to scale it up and also to ensure that there's a multi-sectoral approach to ensuring that what we produce is exported and also for everything we consume locally, it, it, it would mean that we would not spend our hard-earned dollars on importing it. My next question is going to be about, about the outlook of the year 2020. At the beginning of the year 2019, in an interview with my friend Sangudele, he said anyone who is doing any form of financial intermediation, financial transaction, take my advice. Go conservative. Don't go for high interest rates and wild, wild investments. Just go for your basic safe investments. I think he has been proven to be a prophet in the month of November. So I'm going to ask my guest in the studio to look into the crystal ball and tell us what should we expect in the year 2020 based on the outlook of the economy. I'm going to read some indices and then ask Andy, what do you see in the crystal ball? But if you are a trader, or a merchant looking to grow your business, then it's time to grow faster and go further with Ecobank's Digi Banking Park. The Ecobank Digi Banking Park is designed to spe designed specifically with the growth of your business in mind. The benefits are numerous. They include zero opening balance, no monthly service charges, 
automatic access to Ecobank's payment and collection systems or solutions, a loan of up to 200,000 Ghana cities and much more. The Ecobank Digibanking Pack also comes with capacity building and financial literacy programs to empower you to grow your business, something that you will need in the year 2020. So to find out more about how to grow faster and go further with a bank that understands your business, visit the nearest Ecobank branch, call toll-free on 3225 or contact us on digipackgh at ecobank.com. Ecobank mobile app, the CIMG product of the year 2018, Ecobank two-times CIMG Hall of Fame Bank and Ecobank the Pan African Bank. Let me take a break and bring you some important messages from my sponsors. When I come back, we're going to look into the crystal ball. What does 2020 hold economically? Please don't worry. Where are you? Postman. I'm at the bank. Really? But your car is in front of your house. Bro, my bank or my phone, Charlie. Oh, how? Ecobank, bro. With Ecobank Mobile, I can do everything, anywhere, anytime. Listen, I just checked my account balance, paid Amazon school fees, and sent money to my grandma at Wale Wale. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Masa, just download the Ecobank Mobile app from the Google Play Store or the App Store or dial star 770 hash and be your own bank manager. Manager, manager. Whether to pay bills or fees. To check account statements, send money across Ghana, abroad, and more. Ecobank Mobile app has got it covered. Ecobank Mobile, making everyday people live everyday lives the Ecobank way. Ecobank, the Pan-African bank. Pre-boarding announcement for MTN Pulse and Chill Flight 567 to Dubai. Keep browsing and talking with your MTN Pulse bundle to stand the chance of winning an all-express space trip to Dubai. You can also win both headsets. 4G devices are more from now to 30 November. Send checks to 567 or use the MTN Pulse app to check your points today. See you in Dubai. MTN Pulse. Just be. Terms and conditions apply. We gain for you everywhere you go. 25 minutes to the hour of 8 o'clock. This is Springboard of Virtual University. We are talking money, 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 money. Trying to break down budget 2020 and understand what to expect in the year 2020. I tell you something. When we get a clear understanding of what the year holds, it will determine how we put our pecs and how we put our foundations as we build towards the year ahead. And so far, we've been trying to understand... Um, a couple of the priority areas of the budget, focusing largely on restoration of the economy and especially the agricultural sector, which is a subject of great interest for us this evening. But let me just read some indicators for you from the budget statement. Per capita income risen for, for in the past eight years from $1,230 to $2,130, almost double it. From the budget, we also know that economic growth is now at 7%, one of the highest in the world. Inflation rates is down to 7.16 from about 15.4 thereabouts. Fiscal, fiscal deficit declined from 6.5% of GDP in 2016 to 4.5. Trade deficit improved from 1.8 billion to a surplus of 2.6 billion. What are the implications of these figures and can they form a basis of a prediction of the kind of year 2020 will be? Andy, from where you sit, what kind of year will 2020 be? Okay, so 
Um, I believe when you mention the year 2020, everyone knows that it's an election year. And election years in uh, economic uh, history uh, has not been the best years because we've tend to more or less outdone ourselves and, uh, if you like, lost the gains and credibility and stability that we've nurtured or cultured, you know, moving into election years. Thankfully, um, we've been able to uh, pass the Fiscal Responsibility Act. So for me, um, next year, 2020, being the first year of a budget that is going to be implemented, what it means is that we are going to commit to what we call fiscal rectitude. No, In no, our words, no, no more than five exactly. We stay, we stay within 5% fiscal deficit. We cut our code according to our size. How important is that? It is very, very significant. It is very, very significant in the sense that for all the uh, stability that we've been able to achieve within the macroeconomic sector with all the trends and indicators pointing in the right direction, if we lose that discipline, and, and let's not also forget that we've exited the IMF program. So more or less, we are on our own. Yeah, and therefore, there is that need to stay disciplined and be very, very creative with some of the uh, initiatives that we have outlined and to make sure that we're able to stick with them to achieve the targets that you you enumerated in your question. For the business businesses in all this, should they be hopeful? I believe it's, it's, it's I mean, given how things have uh, trended over the past few years with uh, growth in the agri-industry services sector and so on and so forth, there is clearly some hope for the average businessman. However, there are still concerns lingering relating to uh, cost of credit, cost and access to credit, some utility uh, prices, as well as, uh, if you like, some fiscal measures that have more or less increased the cost of production for a number of businessmen. We're also talking about the uh, perennial matter of getting some stability within our currency to make sure that it doesn't swing you know, wildly in order to, if you like, disturb the planning of, 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 of our business model. So all in all, yes, if we can commit to that physical discipline, I believe next year will be a game changer. An important point that I would like us to explore, and I'm going to go at this point to our data is keen segment, because we want to talk about the, the money, the, the, the revenue side of things. When all is said and done, these are very beautiful plans that we have, but somebody's got to pay for them. And Amos has some statistics that show us that we could do far better with revenue generation, which really is about taxation and grants. How well are we doing and why don't we have the full house participating and contributing to the payment of the bills? Amos, what do you have for us on the data skin segment? Somebody's got to pay. You are right. So the data is king segment is premised on the fact that statistical data organized and presented in the right context improves understanding, reduces uncertainty, and facilitates accurate prediction of outcomes. So our statistic um, of the day is on taxation. And did you know that only 1.5 million of the 6 million Ghanaians supposed to pay tax actually do pay. This means that 3 out of every 4 persons 
a total of 4.5 million people don't pay tax. You know, when I go for my next old students meeting, I'm going to count the number of people in the room. If there are 40 people in the room, 30 are not paying tax. <laughs> it is. And 4.5 million people not paying taxes, that is more than the entire population of Croatia. Wow. Why is this significant? The 2020 budget highlighted nine priority areas, with the most notable for many being accelerated infrastructure development and enhanced financial support to business enterprises. Considering that government already overspent our revenue and grants for the first nine months of 2020 by 15.7 billion Ghana cities, the big question is, where do we find the money to fund the improved quality of life most of us are clamoring for? So, our question for tonight is... At the next meeting, the next <laughs> yes, when, when you go for your mobile meeting, what we are asking is, oh, if sorry. you found yourself with three others in any room, would you be the one who pays your taxes or among the three who don't pay? You know, I love your segment. <laughs> you know, there's a Bob Marley song that says, Somebody's got to pay for the innocent blood that was shed every day. You know, somebody's got to pay for this thing, you know, yeah. Andy. How Who must pay? I mean, we have to pay for it. Yes. And you know, when it comes to these things, it, it sounds like we, we, it's nice to say government, 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 but mm. somebody has got to pay. Mm. And grants are top ups. Grants cannot be the primary basis for we funding our lifestyle. What's the way forward? Well, um, I think we at KPMG have maintained a very consistent call on the government to continue with its digitization agenda uh, for the simple reason that digitization will allow us to be able to harness what we call the big data that will enable government to be able to identify all these, you know, three out of four, you know, people who are hiding you know, behind the scenes and are not fulfilling their fiscal responsibilities. What are we talking about? We are talking about the need to ensure that we maintain the drive to identify all citizens. We maintain the drive to be able to complete our addressing systems. We maintain the drive to be able to ensure that we still are able to link different segments of our economy. What are we talking about? So, for example, somebody goes to the port and clears goods. Do we follow the goods that have been cleared right down to the production and uh, what we call the production chain lender? In other words, to the point where it has been delivered to the ultimate consumer. Because if we're doing that, it will allow us to be able to hone in on exactly all the players within that value chain and whether they are part of the formal economy. We, we will hold tax for various service providers. You know, how are we being able to calculate or use this to calculate, for example, the annual income or tax payable by these service providers? We contribute social security for various individuals within our, uh, our companies and businesses also pay uh, taxes. How are we able to link this to the tax identification number that we've generated to be able to identify those who are not paying their taxes? We have a number of online businesses and players in our system. How are we able to identify them to also make sure that they're also contributing their bit to the national kitty? So we need to be very, very 
uh, if you like, uh, deliberate about how we are able to reform, for example, the GRA and its processes to enhance the taxpayer experience and even make it easy for people who are paying taxes to pay. Because, listen, even if I mean to pay tax and the whole process is a bit encumbered or, or, or um, convoluted, I am not attracted, I am not incentivized to come and pay tax. So there is a lot that has to happen within that uh, arena. And I'm sure um, if we stay on course, we will definitely be able to achieve that end zone. Zero three zero two two one six five four one. Call into the show and tell me what would constitute a great twenty twenty for you. Zero three zero two two one six five four one. If you are listening to us tonight, what do you want to see? Do you want to see the modernization of the road and rail network? Do you want to see food security? Do you want to see faster internet and digitization of stuff? Do you want to see the availability and lower cost of credit? What? Are you a business person? What would make you say this year it be? This is what you want to see. This is what you want to see. 2020, what would make you call that, that year a great year? Call into the show and tell us what you would like to see in the year 2020 that will let you know this is the year that I am really happy, happy as a Ghanaian. So call into the show and let's talk. But the number to call 030 it's 14 minutes to the hour of 8 o'clock. We are talking about Budget 2020. I'm going to come back to my guests. In his presentation, Amos mentioned two things. One, that only one quarter of the taxable or the people who should be taxed are actually paying tax. And the second thing is that he mentioned priority areas in the budget and mentioned two of them, that infrastructure and then also mentioned support to the business sector. These are areas that people clamor for and people talk about every day, but somebody's got to pay. Um, there's a submission that the informal sector is one of the key reasons why we are not able to generate um, enough taxation because the, by its very nature, there is very little tracking of the informal sector leading to a lot of losses in terms of ta uh, potential tax mobilization. And Michael, what is your take on that? If you, if you look at um, the past um, few budget statements and then also the tax laws in the Revenue Administration Act, there's a lot that is going on that a lot um, that is not being talked about, and the whole idea is to make sure that we capture as many um, taxpayers within the tax bracket, and that and it's a process. So if you look at this whole tax identification numbers being a requirement for opening bank accounts to be able to access certain facilities and services, this all in one way or the other try to make sure that we capture as many taxpayers and address the issue that we are talking about. But just to make um, a quick correction, um, generally the numbers that when you say a lot of people don't pay taxes is generally the income tax, the, di the direct taxes. Right. When it comes to the indirect taxes like the VAT, a lot of us are paying. I mean, those in the villages, everybody's those in the form informal, they are all paying. <laughs> so, so they'll pay. But, but coming back to the um, to the budget statement, I think there are some key things that um, that was that were highlighted, and I think. We, I want to just um, throw some light on let me, it. Let me, let me take someone on the line and find out what someone would yeah. want in the year 2020. Hello, good evening. 
So um, the number to call zero three zero two two one six five four one. If you are looking at the year twenty twenty, what would make you call it a great year for you? Let me come to, back to you, Michael. You're quick, making a quick point about taxation. So who will pay for all these initiatives? One, one of the areas which um, has been identified where the government is losing money is from the e-commerce or the e-business. What you see that there are a lot of non-Ghanaian companies. Maybe I, I don't want to mention names, Alibaba and all those. They all sell to Ghana. They sell to Ghana. Um, we all buy from them. Now, usually when we buy from them, the because they are not in Ghana, the VAT aspect, the government loses that revenue. However, you will see that um, this is not something that's happening to only Ghana. So there's a, um, they are trying to strengthen the tax law and making sure that all these e-commerce businesses are captured. Right. Um, let me come to you. Um, let me come to you, um, Daniel. Daniel, how do we ensure that we pay for for what we enjoy? Because at the end of the day, if you are a business person. If you don't yeah. pay for your services, your business will die. Yeah, I think the informal sector is quite large, and you need to try to formalize the informal sector. So if you look at some of the programs the government has been doing, the property address system, the national day system, are all meant to formalize the informal sector. I think that needs to be accelerated somehow. So if you have most about 60% of the people living large in rural areas, these people are not integrated into the formal economy. So for instance, if you are in Accra, you are selling pizza or any other product, you are likely going to sell it to people who live in Accra, Kumasi, Takwad, and so on and so forth. The moment you are able to track everybody who lives in this country, and if, by extension, formalizing all those informal activities, then you can actually increase our revenue base and make sure everybody has to is paying for what needs to be paid for. Let me take Michael from Achimota and listen to his expectations for the year 2020. Michael, good evening. Good evening, Rev. Right, so I would like to find out from you, what would constitute a great 2020 for you? Well, good evening to you, Reverend, your distinguished guest. For me, getting a second source of income would constitute a great 2020 for me. So, you you... Getting a second source of income, maybe trying to get a second job or uh, doing something else that would generate extra income on the side, for me, personally, is what I would, I would consider a great 2020 for me based on the budget um, tell me my, uh, michael without giving specifics which area or industry are you operating in now currently i'm in the agri sector uh myself as a consultant with 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 an ngo but uh, there was something intriguing that was said about was it the mauritius experience where he wanted to see what was in the budget for 2020 and how he could touch it so for me a youth i mean in the late 20s i also want to know in the agri sector now from the little i've gathered from um, Isoko and from um, your guest. It looks like 2020, what to do is to cash in into processing or production. There's food in abundance. So for me who haven't got the capital, what what has it got for me? How can I also cash in in that value chain, that value addition we are talking about? And as I also better my personal economic, um, um, let's say, my personal economy, then it will also translate into the bigger good for the for the whole economy. So that that's how I am looking at it. And this evening, dissection of 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 of, of the of the budget has given me detailed information. And I think if the budget could be presented in such a way, breaking it down to the level for those who are not really into the financial sector to understand, it it could get better for us. 
Thank you very much. Uh, Michael, uh, one good thing that you could be very um, comforted by is that many of the big players, the KPMGs, the the Deloitte's, the, the various consulting firms and interest groups take the budgets and do a breakdown. They do seminars on them. They produce infographics. Media houses produce infographics. So even if you're a lazy reader, you could actually take these infographics and it will give you a pictorial representation of the highlights of the budget. So all I'll ask you to do is to show a bit more of interest in these fallouts and you will glean so much that could be beneficial to you. But thanks for calling. And your your interest is very simple. You want an additional stream of income. If that one comes, Charlie, you are, you are good. Let me give the first thoughts as we close. Let me give the first thoughts to you, Daniel. He's in your sector. He's an agricultural consultant. Yeah. He says he doesn't have a lot of capital. He's in his late 20s. He yeah. can find a way to plug in into the 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 downstream, the processing end of the, of the, of the, of the value chain. He'll be very fine. Is there hope for him? Yeah, there's a lot of hope for people like uh, like uh, Michael. Mike, yeah. So in 2020, the government is planning to spend an additional 400 million Ghana cities in the planning for food and just program. They've introduced several other models, running for uh, exports, planting for livestock, a whole lot of things. He needs to get himself acquainted with all these products the government has laid out there. And then also look at opportunities that exist in the market. If you go to, say, the Medina market, and you find tomatoes being sold on the, on the floor, under unhygienic conditions. That's a strong business opportunity for post-service operations, cold storage facilities to be cited in this market. I mean, if you go to any place where there's a lot of spikes, a lot of increases in product prices, let's say one time of the year, you're not, you can't even find tomatoes to buy. And as a time, the tomato has become so abundant that the price are falling so low. That's a great business opportunity for people like Mark who want to go into agricultural production, agribusiness, to actually venture into processing, adding value to things like pepper to dry them and be able to sell them everywhere in the country for other value processes. So I think there's a lot of things that he needs to do. People need to pay attention to what the government is doing, particularly in the agricultural sector. For example, the Cocoa Board is planning to invest $600 million next year to river the cocoa sector. There are things like farmer registration, national cocoa farmer database, digitizing cocoa supply chains, improving the cocoa subsidy program, and all this are out there that people can actually tap in certain elements of it, actually develop business around those areas. So the, the key is to show an interest in exactly. detail. As you see, the devil is in the Exactly. Detail. Thank you very much, Daniel. Exactly. Let's come to you, Michael, for your closing thoughts in a minute. What is the way forward um, after going through budget 2020, seeing the opportunities and the implications? What would be your closing thoughts? My closing thoughts is uh, this budget is very positive. There are a lot of good things out there. And you go back to what you, uh, you said earlier on. We need to take interest in what is the budget and what is out there. Because from what we have gathered, going step by step, we've seen that there are so many opportunities out there, but because we don't take advantage of them. For instance, just going back to Michael's question, you could see one of the government's initiatives to establishment of the enterprise credit scheme, just to give more guarantee to local companies. So this is something that one needs to now take up the initiative, do I follow up and make sure that I can take advantage of all these um, initiatives. So you go back to us taking um, the initiative to do... Um, yeah. Let me come to you, Andy Akutu, to take us home. I mean, Andy, last year we had the privilege of sitting around the budget to have a discussion. Twelve months later, we are back talking budget 2020 again. That last year was 2019, now yeah. 2020. Have we made progress? I believe we have made progress, clearly. Um, I mean, with all the uh, banking sector cleanup 
which is at the heart of the economy, the financial system. Um, I believe we have been able to stabilize the economy and uh, the outlook still remains very stable. Having said that, there was one key pillar in the budget statement which I don't think we should gloss over, which is reforming public service delivery institutions. We need the public service institutions to up their game to partner the private sector and young entrepreneurs like Michael on the line who are looking for a break to be able to, you know, plug in and also scale. And what so am I talking what, what about? Talking? Yeah, what am I talking about? I'm talking about the fact that Ghanaians are very, very creative. I've come across a lot of Ghanaians doing fantastic things. But where are the outlets? Where are the platforms for them to be able to pitch these their products in order for it to generate their necessary demand? You know, for, for them to be able to scale up. We, we, we have people doing shoes, doing clothing, people doing food processing, like you said, plantain chips. Where are the outlets to display these things? I think we need the government to look at that area and come up with creative ways to be able to create a platform because most of our former retail outlets are, if you like, in foreign hands. You know, we need the government to look at this area and create a platform for indigenous Ghanaian products also to be able to mature and reach international markets so that there will be hope for young entrepreneurs like Michael. Andy Akuto's partner at KPMG, Daniel Asareche is CEO of Soko, and Michael Boatin is also manager at KPMG. One thing is certain, the beginning if they say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the reading of the budget is the beginning of the year 2020. You just need to know what is in that document to get a clear indication of the direction and the priority for the year 2020. And I'm convinced about one thing. The more you know, the better it gets. Next week, we're going to talk about digital disruption and digital transformation. A lot of what you knew 10 years ago and 5 years ago do not exist in that form anymore. And even from our discussion tonight, some of the initiatives that we have discussed will only be facilitated by a rapid digital adoption. Financial services, agric, church, political parties, education, social services, everything you can think about has undergone some form of digital disruption. It's one of two things. You either are at the tip or you have been disrupted. Next week in our discussion, we'll find out how to remain at the cutting edge and not be disrupted. Coming up next, the work with Jesus, and the topic is why we worship. And I am certain that as Reverend Ransford Abosi, host Pastor Tuakwa and Pastor Mike Abosi, who are in-house people, it's going to be a very revealing experience. In the meantime, it's 8 o'clock. My name is Albert Okran. God bless you. God bless you. And God bless you. Good night.